Father, we come to you today as our Father. You love us so very much. You have blessed us in so many ways. And yet, we need you today more than we've ever needed you before. I'm asking you, Father, that you, by your Spirit and through your Word, that you would speak to us today. Let your Spirit call to our hearts. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Greetings. Welcome to the second video briefing for Call to War 2016. I appreciate uh, you taking the time to watch this. I appreciate you giving the Holy Ghost and me the opportunity to speak to you, for you to take the time and consider what the Lord might be saying to his church. As, as I prayed, it is extremely essential, according to Revelations chapter 2 and 3, that we as believers have the ability to hear, ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. There's never been a time in my lifetime, 70 plus years now, when it was more critical for the church to be able to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So I, I want to share some things with you. I am assuming, if you're watching this video briefing, that it is very, very highly likely that you have already watched the uh, briefing number one of this series. If you have not, it is very important that you go back and watch that because there are things I will not be able to cover today that I covered in detail in that original briefing. So, I, I'm again, I am assuming that you have watched it. If you have not watched it, you're certainly welcome to watch this. But I, it is very important to the effort that you go back and watch the original one, uh, video briefing one, so that you can hear the details. Uh, very, very briefly, uh, as my introduction, on uh, early in the morning on March the 29th, the Lord spoke to me as I was praying, and I was praying as he taught me to pray, as he taught all of us to pray. I was praying the kingdom of God. I was, the goal was, after my fellowship with him and my personal devotion with him, was to allow him to use me as a conduit in prayer to, uh, to accomplish the things in the spirit that day that he wanted to do. And I, I wasn't seeking for direction for Call to War. I've never received direction from Call to War uh, in the past, more than a few months at the very most ahead of the, the dates for the Call to War. So I, I, it wasn't in my mind that I was seeking God for direction for Call to War. I was just praying and I was obeying Matthew uh, chapter 18, uh, 16, excuse me, in verse 19 that says that uh, the keys of the kingdom are binding and loosing, and I was also praying as we were taught in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, the things that Jesus said after this manner pray ye, which I consider kingdom praying, or I've also called it warfare praying. It is not devotional prayer. It is not the basic prayer of, uh, of the uh, new, new, new believer. It is an advanced prayer for those who are mature in God and can understand what it is they're praying and why they should be praying it 
and also what they're expecting their prayer to accomplish in God. And so I was praying that. I was binding and loosing, and, in, and I was actually uh, praying uh, from uh, Psalms 149, where he said of uh, the believers that we would have a, uh, the high praises of God in our mouth and a two-edged sword in our hands, and that we would, uh, uh, we would bind their kings with chains and their princes with fetters of iron. And of course, these are not words to be taken naturally for the church of the living God. That's not our goal, our purpose. It's not God's purpose for us. Uh, just like when Peter used the sword to cut off the high priest's uh, uh, servant's ear, Jesus put it back and essentially said, put your sword away. That's not what I'm talking about. That's also not what he was talking about with the church here. So binding their princes with chains, and uh, kings with chains, their princes with fetters of iron, was talking about what the church is called to do supernaturally. And of course, the last verse of Psalms 49 says, this is the heritage. This is our heritage as the uh, children of God to be able to do the, these kind of things in the spirit for the manifestation and the glory of the manifestation of the kingdom of God and the glory of God. So I was praying like this and I heard the words solemn assembly and uh, I knew uh, immediately where uh, those words were at least in one place in the Bible and I, I walked over and got my iPad and looked up the verse that says from uh, Joel chapter 2, that the Lord said, uh, "Sanctify fast, call for a blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify fast, call for a solemn assembly." And I began to read that, and uh, the Lord began to talk to me. And I thought He was giving me direction just for call to war here that we would have as a, the the meeting in this building or stream for people that would watch it. But but as I began to to read through the prayer that He wanted us to pray, I began to realize this was actually a prayer of warfare for the people of God, and I'll get more into that here in a few minutes. And then as I was considering this was direction for just our call of war here, the Lord began to speak to me and said he wanted the church to be called to an around-the-world, round-the-clock, 24-hour spiritual warfare prayer chain by time zone. And that if each uh, of if people in each time zone would agree to pray, during the week of October 24th through 29th from 7 to 10 p.m. in the evening or as many of them as possible, then if each person was praying from 7 to 10 in the evening in their time zone, then in each person, we, people would do that in each one of the time zones. We could have around the clock, around the world, around the clock, uh, spiritual warfare, prayer change. So as I began to look at this, I realized that... Uh, uh, this was bigger than anything I'd ever participated in, especially with Call to War. And then uh, he spoke to me and said, I want you to uh, prepare, have called for a preparation for this week of warfare, this solemn assembly of spiritual warfare. And then he, I said, well, what kind of preparation do you want? He said, I want uh, Daniel's 21 Days to Victory. And uh, if we start on the 4th of October, the 21st day would be the 24th of October, which is the first day of the week of warfare, the 24-hour prayer chain around the world. And so uh, I began to, to look at that in detail. And I, in the next briefing, I will be uh, discussing this preparation. And so I don't want to go too deeply into that now. So anyway, 
we are we are in the spirit calling for those who believe to participate in a round the world by time zone 24 hour a day week of warfare as a spiritual warfare prayer chain and we will continue to do more communicating on this uh, there is another video briefing schedule for August or July the 30th and then August the 13th and the 27th and we will continue to give more and more detail on this. I'm sure there will also be uh, additional briefings in September. All of these to help you prepare for the uh, uh, for your participation in October. Uh, also, uh, I mentioned in the previous briefing and uh, going to mention it to you today. There has there is a document that has been prepared. Uh, it's in a PDF format, so it's easily downloadable and read uh, on most devices or computers. That is the battle plan. And what it basically is, it just gives you in writing the, the various things that the Lord is calling us to do and uh, uh, trying to explain how to do this and what's the best way to do it and and how it can fit in your schedule and your life as the Lord would lead you. And, and then there are scriptures and some discussion of both the, uh, uh, the, the prayer from the book of Joel and also the preparation for prayer, uh, for that prayer from the book of Daniel. So uh, that is available on the website today uh, at the conclusion of this briefing, Apostolic Iron Dot com or you can go to call to war.com c a l l the number 2 w a r.com either one of those they can they're linked together and you can uh, you can download this battle plan so you can have something in writing in front of you to look through and understand if you have any questions certainly you're welcome to contact me on facebook or twitter and I'll do my best to respond so uh, all of that being said Today, I would like to go into more detail into this prayer that the Lord has called us to pray. And so, there will be a few things that I will repeat today that I, I, uh, that I talked about in the uh, first video briefing. But I, I, I want to I talk to you about uh, this a little while today. This is a, uh, <laughs> I am doing my best to be as calm and uh, not uh, animated as possible uh, simply because this is a video briefing, but this this is a fire that I don't want shut up in my bones. This is a fire that uh, that needs to come out, and the Lord wants to speak so that you and I can participate together. Uh, again, on the morning of March the 29th, the Lord spoke to me uh, for a solemn assembly. I, I'm reading now from the book of Joel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 15. Blow the, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. And so th this, this is not just an announcement. This isn't, this isn't like making announcements around offering time. This, this, is, this was a spirit-anointed, spirit-directed, Spirit-empowered call 
to the people of God who could hear and would be willing to respond to the Spirit of God. Uh, the book of Joel is uh, a very important book for New Testament believers because it is the book where the covenant of the new covenant of God made to the Jews was expanded to all flesh. The, uh, the new covenant promised in the old covenant to the Jews was the Lord was going to going to put his spirit into their hearts. He was going to put his spirit in them. In the Old Testament, the spirit was upon people, but God was going to put his spirit in people. In the Old Testament, primarily the spirit of the Lord came on prophets, priests, and kings to empower them to do the work of the office that God had called them to. But but this was new. God promised to the Jews that he was going to put his spirit in anyone who would receive it, Excuse me, and anyone who would receive it, he's, he would put his spirit in them. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. But Joel, in verse 28 of chapter 2, the Lord uses him to expand this covenant to all of us who are not Jews. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit, saith the Lord, on, on all flesh, he said. I will pour, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Thank God that includes me because I am not fortunate enough to have a Jewish heritage. And so the only way that I can partake of this new covenant is the fact that the Spirit of the Lord has expanded it. So this, the book of Joel is, this, is critical. And so whatever is in the book of Joel is very critical to us Gentiles as well as our brothers in Christ who are of the Jewish uh, lineage. But the, uh, this particular passage from chapter 2, verse 15, all the way down through the end of the chapter, is very, very time-specific. Now, I'm not denying <coughs> that there were uh, very specific things that God was speaking to the Jews about that day or a coming day that would affect them. Quite honestly, I believe that these verses were uh, uh, to the to the natural seed of, of Abraham. That these these verses were relating uh, the promises of God that was going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost, which was the beginning of the new covenant. But Peter, on that day, the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the church, did not quote Joel two twenty eight exactly. He said, it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. So the outpouring of the spirit the first time in Jerusalem concluded the old covenant and began the new. The outpouring of the spirit at the end of the new covenant is going to conclude the New Testament and begin the next phase of God's plan for man on the earth. Uh, which I personally believe is going to start with a tremendous time of purging uh, on the earth by by the Lord God, and so this chapter, chapter two, is is uh, is very time specific for the church. Also, it was it was time specific, I'm sure, for the Jews leading up to the day of Pentecost, the original outpouring of the Spirit, but it's also time specific for the church. Because it leads up to a culminating outpouring of the Spirit. The difference is this. The original uh, day of Pentecost, the outpouring there 
was in Jerusalem. There's no evidence that there was an outpouring on that day outside of Jerusalem. And everybody who received the Holy Ghost that day were either Jews or they were Jewish proselytes. And so that was very specific. So these verses applied to the, to the, the nation of Israel in leading up to the original outpouring. But, but, but Joel lets us know it was only relevant or, uh, or applied to them, uh, based on their heritage and God's promise to fulfill the old covenant and bring them to the new. Because when Joel said it shall come to pass afterward, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, he immediately designated something or, or described something that could not possibly have been strictly the day of Pentecost because all flesh did not receive the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that day. All flesh did not receive the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that day. In fact, not all of Israel received the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that day. Only the believers in Jerusalem and only devout Jews from every nation under heaven who were gathered for the Feast of Pentecost were even there to receive the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So I could uh, safely say that the original outpouring of the Holy Ghost didn't really even happen on sinners. Everyone who received the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost were already believers of, in God, in the God of Israel, to some degree or another. And actually, to a pretty significant degree in most of their cases, because most of these people who were from outside of Jerusalem, that were specifically itemized in Acts chapter 2, they were, they were Jews from, that came on pilgrimage some very long distances for this particular day. So again, there is no way to say that Joel 2.28 fulfill, was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. So I believe, therefore, these verses, and I've always believed this as long as I can remember, these verses apply most specifically to the culminating period of time of the church of the living God on earth. And, and he will be culminating our his efforts through us to preach the gospel to, the, to every creature by a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost uh, immediately before the rapture of the church. I believe that with all of my heart, with everything in me, I believe that. In fact, I have lived my whole life for this day, and I expect, fully expect to be alive to participate in that outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Nothing in this world is more important to me than that. I want to be a part of that, and I hope that you feel the same as you take your time to hear this. So the Lord, in getting their attention to help them to prepare for this outpouring, he, he, he had the trumpet blown, and the trumpet here was not for music of praise and worship in a church service, but it was always a signal to get their attention. They blew the trumpets at the start of battles. They blew the trumpet to assemble troops for battle. They blew the, blew the trumpets, the watchmen on the walls, to announce peril if they've seen it, uh, and all other kind of reasons, both, both natural, uh, military, and spiritual reasons. The trumpet was a sign of uh, of warning. And so the Lord says, I, I want to get your attention. I am sending out a clear sound. 
a trumpet with a clear sound. If the trumpet does not give a clear sound, then then uh, who's going to rally to the battle? And so the the Lord says, I'm 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 going to have a clear sound come out to 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 call you to uh, a gathering, sanctify a fast which is what we will be talking about in the next briefing in detail, the preparation for, ahead of the meeting, and call a solemn assembly. So I know this is backwards, but this is the way he gave it to me first. He said solemn assembly to me first and directed me to these verses. And then after he talked to me about these verses, he then said, I need you to prepare, which would be the sanctify a fast. Uh, and the word sanctify here doesn't mean to clean it, to do a clean fast or to, to, to do a body cleansing, as some would say. No, it means to consecrate or set apart time in your life for a fast, a fast of preparation for this solemn or sacred assembly. And then, and then he, he, he very specifically tells how critical this is to him, how important this is by the people he calls to this assembly. He says, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children. So he just went both ends. And whether you call the elders here elders because of age or elders because of responsibility or both, he went from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum with, with children. Don't leave the children out. Don't have nursery school. Don't have nursery or don't have Sunday school or whatever. I want everybody there. I want everybody together, he's saying. And, and then he says, those that suck the breast. But I just had a child. I, I can't bring my newborn to this. The Lord said, I gave that child. And what I'm doing now is so important. I'm expecting you to figure out how to be involved with this, even with the child. And then, then he goes even further because this is uh, in direct, seemingly in direct contradiction of his own word on the subject. He said, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. This terminology would let us know that these are still fairly newly wed people. This isn't talking about people before their wedding, but after their wedding. These are these are this this is a situation where these people are uh, are fairly newly married. And the and in in the Bible, uh, newly married people in Israel did not the man did not have to go to uh, respond to any call to war. Uh, within the first year of his marriage, the part of the reason was because it was uh, the plan of God, if possible, for the woman to become expecting so that if the man got killed in battle, he would have offspring or progeny. And then hopefully for her, because this was God's plan, retirement plan, uh, she would have a son and that son would grow up to take care of her in her old age. And that's, uh, there's more to say on that, but it's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a rabbit trail and I'll stay on the subject here. So the point is, the Lord in this call said, what I'm about to say for you to do and, and the timing of this call is so important. No excuses. Leaves nobody out. Everybody's supposed to be involved. And so, then he, then he says this. He gives God, through his conduit, the prophet Joel. Joel was only a conduit. These were not Joel's words. They weren't Joel's ideas. Joel was the mouthpiece of God speaking to those that had ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to his people. And so he says, 
let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, those who minister to the Lord, in other words, those who are, 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 are representing God to the people and the people to God, here's what I want them to do. And if they're doing this, in my opinion, they're actually leading the people in doing this. I can't imagine that the people of God have come to this solemn assembly to just simply uh, keep their mouth shut and be quiet while the priest did all the praying. I don't believe that. I'm sorry. I believe that these people prayed together and this was a directed prayer. God was giving them a direction for prayer and telling them specifically what he wanted them to pray. And so he says, let them say, spare thy people, O Lord. Let them say, and this, the word say is not used there in the context of let them read this out loud, let them quote this. He was telling them the areas he wanted them to pray about. Spare thy people, O Lord, give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? And, uh, <laughs> uh, excuse me just a minute. Thank you. Then the Lord, uh, in calling them to prayer and in giving them specific things to pray, he had his own, he is God after all, he had his own reasons why he wanted these things prayed. And so our, our idea is not, oh well, Lord. I think I need you to do this and I want you to do that and I want you to fix this and change that and whatever. That's me praying about what I want to pray for. But the greatest dimension of prayer there is is not telling God what we want Him to do. It's letting God pray through us into the spiritual atmosphere of earth so that He can do the things He wants to do. And I've said this many times and I'm may have talked about a little bit in the last one. I don't even remember exactly what I talked about in the last video briefing because the purpose, uh, uh, my purpose and goal in ministry is to be a conduit and let him say what he wants to say. So even if I did, I'm repeating it. Uh, the the <laughs> Biblically, according to God's plan, he does not work without man as human agent. He does not. This is easily proven by the fact that when God couldn't find a man to be his representative, he himself emptied himself of glory, came to the earth, clothed himself in flesh so that flesh could die in our place and be our savior. Humanity, that flesh was truly human. It was flesh that manifested the logos or what we say, Word of God. Of course, Logos Logos is very, very much greater than simply the idea of Word. It includes all of the will of God, the counsel of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, etc., etc., etc. All of that is Logos. All of it is Logos. And it was by this Logos that he created the worlds. And so... The Logos could not come to the earth and do what it was supposed to do in saving man without having flesh 
as his covering because that's the plan of God. And, and, and then the, another place where the Lord proves this point is he told us to pray, uh, that we are supposed to pray, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if he can, if he's going to do anything by himself without using human agency, don't you think he would do his will on earth without asking, commanding, expecting men to pray his will into the earth? And if you look at the Greek there, uh, what it's really saying is, the, the will and the word of God pre-exists in heaven. It, it is predetermined in heaven. It's already the case in heaven. And it needs to come into being on earth. Because if the will of God is prayed into the earth, the, the, will, of, the will of God, the word of God, once it's released in the spiritual atmosphere, will be, begin to do the work that God sent it to do. He said, His word will not return unto him void, unto him void, but it will do whatsoever he sent it to do. But it has to be spoken. For instance, it says, he sent his word and healed them. And so uh, we, we need to pray these things. We, ha- we have to pray these things. And so he gave a list of things that are all actually interrelated of things he wanted us to pray in this gathering. They're very specific. Now again, I had been praying uh as uh with the authority that's been delegated to me in the office that he has chosen that I did not choose for myself uh I pray every morning uh by his grace and believe that he is praying through me a covering of authority uh by the word of God over those who are submitted to his authority and so I've been praying that I pray that every morning for those that I am responsible for for praying a covering over, very much like Moses with his hands raised when the when Joshua was leading Israel in the battle in the valley. Uh, whenever Moses had his hands raised and the covering of authority was uh, activated, uh, the battle the Israel was blessed in the battle. The battle went in their favor. But when Moses, being an older man, couldn't keep his arms up by himself, and so he, he got tired, his arms were let down then the covering of authority was not there. And the scripture says that the, ba- the blessing was withdrawn and the battle went against Israel. And this was so important that they found a rock for the old man to sit on and two guys helped him hold his arms up so that covering of authority could stay in place and the blessing of God would be upon the battle until it was completed and the victory was won. And so I was praying, as an old man, the covering of authority and uh and so when i when the lord said this to me and i went over and i got my ipad out and i opened up my king james version with strongs and where i could touch the words and the definitions would come up i i i opened up joel chapter 2 and i was looking at this and he said spare thy people o god and i touched the word spare and uh immediately strongs hebrew dictionary came up and this is what it says i'm quoting it literally means properly to cover i.e. figuratively, to compassionate. Now, most of the other scholars say that it means compassion or pity or whatever. Uh, Yes, that is the purpose of covering. 
The purpose of covering is to show compassion. The purpose of covering is to, to show mercy. The purpose of covering is to, to aid, to assist, to uh, protect. So I immediately knew when I, when I looked at that first word that this was a prayer of warfare because that's how you start warfare by praying a covering of protection and authority over yourself, over your family, over your ministries, over the people that uh, you're responsible for, etc., etc., etc. Always pray a covering of authority first. And so the Lord is saying to us, we need to pray this covering of authority. And then he says uh, that we should pray that his heritage would not be given to reproach. His heritage not be given to reproach. Now, children are my offspring. They are not my heritage. What my children become because of those opportunities the Lord provides them, and hopefully I have something to do with that, and because of the other things that hopefully the Lord has used me to put into my children's lives, whatever they become, that's my heritage. Whatever they do, that's my heritage. That's my heritage. It's not just the child being born that's my heritage, that's my offspring, but it's not my heritage. And so the heritage of God in this situation is is in this context, is all that he has planned to do for, to, and through his people in the earth and in eternity. The primary element of his heritage is the establishment of the kingdom of God in, through, and by his church, first of all, in the supernatural, in the earth, and then ultimately in the millennial reign as the Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem. This is his heritage. This is his inheritance. The word heritage, heritage is inheritance, your portion or your lot. The inheritance is never, never children. That would be like your, your, your father pass away and you go to the, to the, the reading of the will and, and the lawyer says, okay, well, uh, the, your inheritance, your heritage uh, that your father gives you is your children. Well, my father may have birthed me, but he didn't have a whole lot to do with the birthing of my children. And so, therefore, they can't be his heritage to me. Now, what God does in and through me, that's his heritage. What God does in and through my children is his heritage, and to some degree, thankfully, mine also. So the Lord says, that we are to pray, after we prayed this covering, we are to pray, give not thine heritage to reproach. Now, aren't we all thankful that we are, that the Bible says, I'm just off the subject here for a minute, but permit me to do that, just kind of feel to say this. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it awesome that the Lord says that fathers won't die for the sins of their sons and their sons won't die for the sins of the father? If I'm not mistaken, that's... Uh, Ezekiel 18, somewhere in there. Uh, and, you know, because you know, I'm very thankful for that. And, uh, and you know, my dad, I was finally the son of a preacher after my dad prayed through in our church when he was almost 50 years old. So I'm very thankful he got saved. Uh, 
but I became the son of a preacher after he got saved at almost 50 and a couple years later got his uh, initial local license and he preached to the day of his death when he was 83. So I, I appreciate that, but I'm so thankful that I did not inherit some of the stuff he did before he got saved. I'm very thankful for that. And my own sins, I pray that I have not passed my own struggles down to my sons. Sometimes it looks like I may have, but the bottom line is, whatever my sons do is on their own head. It's not on my head. Whatever I do is on my head. It's not on my son's head. Uh, yes, there may be some connection of influence, but every one of us is accountable for our own decisions. We all answer to God for our own decisions. We can't blame our decisions on anybody else. So when the Lord's talking about heritage here, he's talking about the fact that what his plan and purpose is that he was going to do through Israel, what he's planned and purpose to do through the church, it was being given to reproach. Now, uh, the, the word reproach is, is uh, the accusation, taunts, and blasphemous statements that are made to the church about the church and God. Now, you know, I, I was born in 46, and I've lived through the four, late 40s, didn't remember much of that, and the 50s, and the 60s, and the 70s, and the 80s, etc., etc., etc. I've lived through all that, but in my lifetime, there's never been a time where there's been more open and blatant uh, taunts and, and derisive statements made about God and about the church uh, publicly in media by people who supposedly have great credibility. Uh, uh, people who are well known for being on news channels who openly mock the church and those with faith. Now, the Lord said, this is not okay with him. But what does the church do? We, uh, we run every man to our own tent. We uh, run home and lock the doors and we, we try to not listen to too much social media or any other kind of media because it, we, we're going to cringe because they're saying bad stuff about us. Really? Really? That's... Really the best we can do? I'm not talking about people here. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not the person. It's not the people. It's who's behind that. The word devil literally means, uh, well, Strong's uses a word that we I've never used before. It's called traducer, which literally means slanderer. That's what the work of the devil is, is slander. It's not to play boogeyman. That's not what the, the work of the devil is. The work of the devil is slander. So therefore, when he said, give not thine heritage to reproach, I, I, I want a covering of protection and compassion prayed over my people so that my people can then war against the slanderer. It is not the will of God for us to accept this. It is not the will of God for us to lay down. I'm not talking about verbally blasting people. That's not really the point of this. The point is, the Lord says, No weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. And every mouth that opens against you in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the honor of the servants of the Lord, and my righteousness is of them. 
If my righteousness is not my own, it's not self-righteousness, if my righteousness is actually His righteousness received by faith as a gift in obedience to His Word, then when they're slandering me, they're not talking about me. They're not talking about you. They're talking about Him. And we who are a part of Him and He's a part of us, are going to keep our mouth shut and do nothing about that? Well, what can we do, Brother Wright? Forgive me, I'm not trying to be unkind. But that's the way it appears to me. What can we do, Brother Wright? Let's just go hide and maybe this will go away. Really? That's not what he called us to do. He called us to pray against this slandering spirit that's reproaching, shaming, accusing, mocking, taunting the people of God. The heritage of the Lord. What He said He would do. What can we do about it? <laughs> That's what this is all about. We can do a whole lot about it. It's just a matter of whether or not we will. And we don't ever have to confront anybody just in prayer. We just have to learn to pray. And we have to learn to pray something more than I now I'm laid me down to sleep prayer. God is great. God is good. Now thank Him for our food. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We, you pray like that all you want, but you're not going to accomplish anything. But if we begin to pray like He's taught us to pray, we have power to change things. And he wants to use us as change agents in the earth. The, the scripture says, and I am challenged by this. When the apostles showed up in a city, they said, These be the, many, the men who turned the world upside down. Well, I look and study. Okay, now what did these guys do to turn the world upside Really? I didn't have bombs and guns and bulldozers and tanks and aircraft carriers. and They didn't have any of that. So what did they do to turn the world upside down? They prayed and they preached. And their prayers and their preaching turned the world upside down. <laughs> when the idolatrous Queen Jezebel and her stooge of a husband Ahab were, were threatening the people of God and the prophets of God... One man, one man prayed and said, okay, you want to treat us like this? It's not going to rain till I say so. Well, that was then. Really? Then why does the book of James say Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed and God listened. He didn't even have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that verse followed immediately after the one that says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer changes things. Now, our problem is we only want prayer to change our things. We want God to take all of our pain, problem, pressure away. We want God to fix our life, make this heaven on earth. And that doesn't work because most of the time He doesn't listen to those prayers because they're so selfish and self-centered he doesn't even bother to respond to those. And then, of course, then we say prayer doesn't work. Yes, you're right. Prayers prayed amiss do not work. They don't work. 
He doesn't listen to them. In fact, the Bible says, for those who regard iniquity in their heart, the, the Lord doesn't even hear their prayers. But for those who are willing to be conduits of the Lord, giving their lives over to the Lord, let the Lord pray through them, we have the ability to affect the world. If the apostles could turn the world upside down through prayer and through the preaching of the word, there's a whole lot more of us today than there was of them. What would happen if we pray? What would happen if we pray with the same faith and confidence and boldness in God and we let God use us as the conduits to do what He has called us to do? What would happen in our world if the church would pray? You know what's really awesome about that is <laughs> if they locked us up and put us in jail, they can't stop prayer. They can mock us. They can beat us. They can... They can Find us. They could take our buildings away. They could take our tax-exempt status away. They could take our liberties away. But they cannot confine prayer in my heart. They can't lock it in there. They can't. Jesus is hanging on a cross. And he prayed. One man was full of a legion of demons. And he prayed. Prayer, real prayer, biblical prayer. Prayer is a conduit for the kingdom of God, for the Lord Jesus Christ of the earth works. If we would just pray that. If we would just let him use us like that. I believe in preaching. I've been preaching 48 years. Preaching and teaching for 48 years. I believe in it. Plan on doing it the rest of my life. Till the last breath. The Lord willing. But I'm here to tell you something. Every day I live, the longer I live, the more I come to the conclusion. The most important thing that any person, preacher or church member, could possibly do is pray. Pray. Prayer is more important than voting. Prayer is more important than standing on a stump somewhere and, 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 and confronting our society. Prayer. It's more important than all of it. Prayer is more important than all of it. And if we would pray, not religious prayers, not verbiage, not selfish, self-centered prayers, but we would let the Spirit of the Lord pray the Word of God through us with the, in the name of Jesus, with the authority of God, things would happen in this earth. In Jesus' name, rise up within us, Holy Ghost, and scatter your enemies through prayer. Let God arise and His enemies be scattered. How? Let God arise in us. And let the spirit of prayer, the spirit of intercession, the spirit of supplication, the spirit of warfare and travail, rise up in us and pray those prayers that will change our world. They'll change our world. But we're coward. I didn't say we are cowards. We are coward. We, we, we're, we're couched. We are... We're, we're, we're hiding away because we don't know what to do. When, when, when a believer says they don't know what to do, uh, that means the Lord has brought you to the place you've run out of all options except prayer. That's exactly what the Lord said. So, in his instructions on what we should pray, he says, uh, he says this, that we should, we should, uh, I'm sorry, let me get back here and read it real quick again. 
We should, we're supposed to pray, spare thy people, O God. Cover your people for the purpose of having compassion on them and protecting them. Give not thine heritage to reproach. Lord, don't, don't stand by and don't let us stand by and let people shame you and shame your heritage when we can pray and address that. And, and the Lord said, this is one of the ways that his heritage is reproached. The third thing we're to pray, that the heathen should not rule over them. That the heathen should not rule over them. The word rule means to exercise dominating power, authority, and influence over. The problem is today, of course, there are so many. And and I, I don't want to be sarcastic because I'm sure they sincerely hold their position that uh, uh, the devil's not ruling over us. How about suppress, uh, oppress, silence, uh, render ineffective, etc., uh, etc.? Et really? So, there's nothing for us to pray that, uh, that, the, that the heathen, the spirit of the slanderer, and he, those who give themselves to him, uh, there's no way they're ruling over us. Now, see, and this is the focal point of this warfare prayer right here. Paul was called by God. And in Paul's description, his most graphic description and a detailed description of his call by God is in Acts 26. And he said that the Lord called him to be a minister and a witness to turn the people from light to darkness, from the power, or the Greek word is authority, of Satan unto God. And then they could be converted. That's a whole study for another time. But that's what Paul was called to do. Before he's called to preach, he was called to pray and exercise authority for the for people to be delivered, for people to be set free, to pray the rule of the adversary off the people of God. Well, I am not a tour guide in a Holy Ghost museum talking, willing to give tours and talk about all the stuff God used to do. That God hasn't gone anywhere. He's alive. He is the I am. You know, we, we say, oh, the Lord is here tonight. Uh, he fills all space. Where else can he be? What we mean is the Lord is manifesting himself here tonight because he can't be any other place. He can hide himself or manifest himself, but he can't be any other place but here because he fills all space. And so, you know, he, he, here we are and. And, and, and the Lord is here tonight because we're feeling our goosebumps and we're feeling really good and we, we dance a little bit or we run a little bit or we raise our hands, we clap our hands a little bit. And, oh, God, how powerful that service is, really. Nothing eternal changes. We don't get any more liberty. We're as oppressed as we've ever been on Mondays. But, boy, did we feel good last night. That's really what we're called to do? Really? That's it? 
<laughs> really? That's what we're called for? That's what God wants to do? That's the whole purpose of what he called, saved us to do, was to have good church. Praise God. I said this last briefing. You know, the way we quote it is, except the man be born again, he cannot see the church. Except the man be born again of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the church. And of course, we all know the Bible doesn't say that. Because a lot of people stop at just getting into the church. They never get into the kingdom. You can't get into the kingdom unless you're participating with the kingdom of God. And Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. And Paul said that the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. You can talk about God all you want, but where's your power? If you're in the kingdom of God, there's power. There's things happening. But we have lowered our standards so far. That good church is the epitome of what we're after. Boy, they sang good tonight. They, we preached good tonight. And we, we, we just had a wonderful time. And, and we went home. We feeling better. Now, Monday is a tough time. And we can't even bring ourselves to pray on Monday because we're too busy. Uh, but, but boy, did we have a time last night. Can't wait for the next service. Next entertaining church service. Can't do it. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to get you to think a little bit. Is this really... What you were saved for? If that's what I'm saved for? <laughs> the only reason to keep doing it is because I don't want to go to hell. Because there's no other reason to keep doing it. None. Whatsoever. If there's not a plan and a purpose, if there's not a mission to this, Christ had a mission. We're part of the body of Christ. <laughs> we're part of the body of Christ. Christ had a mission. And we don't have a mission? We don't have a purpose? There's no plan for this? So we are told to pray. Cover your people. Don't let your heritage be reproached and slandered. Let not the heathen and the spirit of this world through the heathen rule over your people. Well, preacher, come on now. We're not being ruled over. Really? Really? then every true on-fire church that's trying to reach the lost out there today has an abundance of resources to do everything that they can envision doing to preach the gospel to every creature. Really? Well, if you know people like that, I don't. I don't know one person, one preacher, one church who is absolutely on fire with the passion of God to reach the lost that has anywhere close to the resources they need to do all that they would do to reach the lost if they had the resources. Well, the Lord said you can't serve God and mammon. And what's mammon? That, that's the spirit of greed and lust for possessions in this world that consumes the resources that are supposed to belong to the kingdom of God. We can't serve two, two gods. We can't serve God and mammon. Some of us, we squeeze church into our busy work schedule because we're so blessed with our work, our job, our businesses 
that we just don't have a whole lot of time for God. So he is very fortunate when we show up on church, show up to church. And we're really good Christians. We just are so faithful. We, we make it to the house of God. We don't have time for anything else. And we, we pray in passing and we go on about our business and and, and we'll, we'll give when we're pressured to do that. We may actually even faithfully pay our tithes, but, but you know, all of that's really ours. We're working hard for it, and it really belongs to us. And so uh, we, and we, we got vacations to take and stuff to buy. I like vacations, and I'm not poor. But that's not the bottom. Uh, the bottom line is this. Nothing I have belongs to me. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing I have belongs to me. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. Everything I have is his. All he has to do is say. I'm just a steward of it. Now what would happen if that would become the attitude of the people of God? Because it's really not that there isn't money in the members of the church. There's just not money available to the church. And then when people do give, they want to control how it's used. Really? 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 So there's no, there's no suppression, oppression of the church when it comes to resources. Really? How about this? Is there no ruling over the church with intimidation? In our world today? Especially here in North America. Oh, wow. I'm not talking about being unkind and reckless. I'm talking about just preaching the Word of God. When's the last time you preached a heartfelt, powerful message about hell? When's the last time, preacher, you preached a, a word from God about lifestyle? I'm not talking about holiness. I'm talking about conduct, attitude. I mean, really? <laughs> I use Facebook. It's a pulpit. My apologies to all of those of you that have tried to contact me. I haven't contacted you back. I do what I can, but I'm very busy trying to do the work of God. So I don't respond to everybody that tries to engage me on Facebook. I don't have the time to do it. It's not that I don't care. I don't have the time. But it really? So... So Facebook is of God. And so all the time I spend on Facebook communicating with people, it justifies that I don't have time to pray and I don't have time to teach Bible studies and I don't have time to go to home groups and invite people to home groups, etc., 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 etc. Intimidation. Intimidation. What about all the things out there that the, the world makes sure that we see and want? So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is so easily engaged in all that. And we open the door for being ruled over. Because the question is this, who possesses my possessions? Do I possess the possessions or the possessions possess me? Fear. That's in this, in North America right now, there is a spirit of fear on the church. 
Not everybody, but on the church in general. But it's especially the case in other places in the world. The church is being ruled over by fear. The church is being ruled over by fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear's got torment. We're afraid to open our mouths. We're afraid to uh, let our children out of our sight. We're 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 afraid of it. We're afraid of this, afraid of that. We live in fear. People of God on medication because of fear. We're not ruled over by fear. Really? Or how about the places where power or force is being used against the church? I'm not saying all of those people that were killed in Bangladesh were Christians. But every one of them that was killed in that restaurant couldn't quote the sacred book of the terrorists. Uh, so you have no fear. You have no, there's no force being used to try to silence the church. None. Really. So we, we're just supposed to, as a church, sit back and not pray against that. Not come against that. Not be ruled by fear. Really? And finally, uh, not that these are all, but just some as examples, government oppression. Now, we know that in China, you can't have public church services. It's against the law. They have to meet in secret. In Saudi Arabia, it's not even legal to own a Bible. If you... If you're passing through their country and they inspect your belongings, you got a Bible, they'll confiscate it. Even if you're only in their airport. We say, well, that, that's not the case in America. Really? So you can pray wherever you feel to pray in America now, right? There's no law saying, well, you can't pray here or you can't pray there. Really? So there's no governmental oppression in America over Christians right now. No, go, no governmental oppression in, in, uh, in Europe over uh, Christians right now. Really? Come on, friend. Really? And so we're going to deny that the church is being ruled over? The Lord said for His people to pray, a covering over the people, to pray the slanderous things that are being done and said against God and His plan through His people would be defeated and that the heathen and the spirit working through the heathen would not rule over us? And finally, He said us, told us to pray uh, that the heathen would not be able to say, where's your God? You got a God? Where is He? Haven't seen Him. Peter called Him them scoffers. He said in the last days there'd be scoffers walking after lust of their own flesh saying, where's the promise of his coming? We've heard of the coming of the Lord all these years, but nothing's changed. These are, these are challenges and taunts. God's not responding to them like you would to a, a, a schoolyard bully. He's responding to it because he wants his people provoked to pray. We're not it's not his will for us to be provoked to hide. It's the will of God for us to be provoked to pray. 
Now, certainly, certainly, the idea here is that we would uh, we would not wait until October to pray. I'm not. Hopefully, you're not either. But what this effort is is a God-directed effort to get as many of the people of God throughout the world to bind together and pray. If you can't, if you can't commit to pray every evening that last week, full week of October, from seven to ten, where you live, so pray, pray sometime that day, pray. There are time zones, especially in the Pacific, where it's not very populated. It's going to be a little difficult to get to get very many people praying in those time zones. Pray sometime. Maybe you'll be covering one of them. Pray. Pray with us. Join with us. Pray. We need to pray. We need to pray specifically. We don't just need to put in time praying. We don't just need to say verbiage praying. We need to pray like who we are. The body of Christ. We need to pray. And as briefly as I can here, uh, the I, I'll, I'll cover this as quickly as I can. Uh, this is what's so beautiful. The very next verse after this prescribed prayer, this directed prayer by God, he said, Then, it's Joel 2.18, Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. So, the Lord is saying, if you'll come together, if you'll gather together, if you'll prepare yourself and gather together, and you will pray what I've given you to pray, then I'm going to respond, and here's the things I'm going to do. Verse 19, Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. The first thing he's going to do is begin to supply for us so that we're no longer, the, 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 the heathen are no longer able to say, look at you, look at your situation, where's your God? It's the first thing. He's going to remove our reproach by him supplying what we need spiritually to do what he's called us to do. But then the next verse says, But I will move far off from you the northern army, and will drive into a barren land and desolate, drive him into a barren land and desolate, with his face toward the east sea, and his hinder part toward the utmost sea, and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. In other words, he's not just going to be defeated in battle, he's going to be defeated, period. Now I know, I know, I know in... And, and, you know, in the seven years of the time of Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week, uh, you got the, the Antichrist and the red dragon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you may believe you're going to be here and God bless you. I, I, that's, I'm not going to fall out with you over that, but, and we'll, we'll find out who's right on this. I, I'm, I'm sure sometime. And, uh, either way, if, uh, you're right, I, I want to endure all that. So I'm saved. And if I'm right, I hope you will let, let the Lord rapture you, even though it's not when you expect it. But, uh, the, the problem is I, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. I'm not, not following what the devil's doing. I'm following what I believe God is saying and doing. I don't want to be sensitive to the devil. 
I don't want to be, I'm not a follower of devils. I'm not a devil chaser. I'm a God pursuer. I want, I want to know God. I want to follow God. I want to obey God. I want to please God. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm called to do. That's what my heart says to do. But he promised that he would not only give us victory in the battle, but he'd give us victory in the war, our war. There's got to be such a breakthrough as maybe we have never imagined before that would enable the outpouring of the Spirit to take place in the earth that God has promised is going to happen. And so he said, and tells us of that army, uh, the northern army usually represents the enemies of Israel naturally, so it's the enemies of the church spiritually. So this northern army would have to be some kind of demonic horde that's going to be defeated by God. Verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pasture of the wilderness do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield her strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, rejoice of the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain of the first month. I mentioned this in the previous briefing, but in this verse, uh, the former rain and the latter rain are two completely different times of the year. The, the former rain is in the fall. It is, it's a slow, steady rain that softens up the fallow ground that has laid under the baking sun of the Middle East uh, 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 after the harvest, and it's gotten hard, very hard, and their implements could not turn it over. So therefore, the firm, former rain comes down very gently, and it soaks in the soil. It softens the soil so that they can plow the ground up. Then the latter rain happens before harvest, and it comes to fatten up the crop and, and to maximize the yield of the crop, and then it stops raining, and you harvest because you don't want to harvest wet grain. But it, it happens to, uh, the, the latter rain is for the purpose, and it's usually in uh, the, the late spring, uh, and it uh, it. It fattens up the the winter wheat crop, which in the Bible the their grain harvests were all or their grain crops were always winter crops, uh, sown in the fall, reaped in the spring, and uh, the the purpose of that was to it, to to intensify the yield. But then the Lord makes this statement, which then, which proclaims a supernatural act. He said, "I gave you the former rain moderately." But I'm going to cause a rain to come down just before harvest that's going to be equal to the former rain and the latter rain together. Because I want to maximize the maximized harvest. He promised that. And then he says, And the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. Look at the difference here. Back up in verse 19. He's going to give you enough uh, grain and wine and oil to satisfy you, to, 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 to meet our needs so that we're no longer deprived. And the enemy can say, where's your God? He's sure not taking care of you. But this harvest is different. This is an overflowing harvest of such abundance that we have no ability to contain the results. 
And then he says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palm worm, my great army, which I sent among you. I'm going to, I'm going to, all of those years that, that I allowed the adversary to come against you and, and destroy crop after crop after crop after crop, I'm going to give all that back to you and make you whole. Make your harvest whole. Make your results whole. All that's been taken away from you, I'm going to give it to you, back to you in such an abundance that it's whole. How many? I believe with all my heart this is a promise of people that we love dearly who are no longer a part of our fellowships. That Some have gone in different directions and others have walked away from God for whatever reason. And, uh, and they're out there. But, but God, God wants to bring them home. He wants to restore us. What, what kind of rejoicing would we have when these people come back and, and, the, and the breach in the body is healed and, and we're able to rejoice with one another and, and they can join in to the, the, the work in the field and we can work together in what God's doing. How awesome is that going to be? And I believe that with all of my heart. And then he says... And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. <laughs> what an awesome promise that is. I'm going, I'm going to do so much for you and through you that you're never going to be ashamed again or you're never going to be vulnerable to being shamed by the slanderer and those that he can use to come against you with their words. Because he is, uh, he is, his mouth is stopped. Because that's your honor. Your righteousness is of him. And then the next verse, verse 27, And you shall know that I am, the I am, is in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. So this is talking about a manifestation of God to such an extent in our midst and through us, that uh, all of this reproach, all this slanderous, taunting, scoffing, mouths will be shut. And when we reach that place, and he, pro he fulfills his promise, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. Oh, and by the way, I still see visions. Uh, I don't usually dream very much, and that's off the subject, isn't it? So I believe with all my heart that God has called us to a place in him where if we would come together as the body of Christ and we would let him use us now and we would join together and pray what he's called us to pray, the Lord is going to do great things in the earth. The idea that anyone could think that God is going to do great things in the earth in spite of a church, people that call themselves the church and they say that they belong to him, who is not interested at all. We're so busy with the world, the things of the world, so trying to fit in without being backslidden and trying to hide who we are and, and we don't have a, a, a public voice, a public face 
because we don't want to be shamed. Is it, can, can, is it possible that we could honestly believe that God is going to pour out his spirit and fulfill his promises to people who don't even care enough to pray? No. Impossible. It's impossible. So in the next video briefing, I will talk about the heart preparation, the mind preparation, the spirit preparation that God is, call, is calling us to to prepare to be a part of the week of warfare. And I will say this, and I'll repeat this in the next briefing. When that week of warfare starts, there's not going to be time for you to repent and get right. So if you're going to participate, you're going to need to do that. So I'm strongly encouraging you to watch video brief, Call to War 2016 video briefing number three, which will be streamed live uh, on August the, or excuse me, July the 30th. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to, to share with you what I believe God is saying to the church today. And thank you for your participation. If you would like to know more about this, again, you can go to apostoliciron.com or call to war, call C-A-L-L, the number two, W-A-R.com, and you can uh, watch the other uh, briefings there, the other briefing there, or other briefings you can watch the, all of the previous call to war seminars with all the teaching and training in how to do spiritual warfare. Uh, you can also download the battle plan document, which will give you in writing specific details that uh, list how God is leading us to do this. Thank you so very much. God bless you. Until next time, in Jesus' name, amen.